So I see us elevating the status of care providers across the country so that they are earning the right uh, wage to provide care. When you're earning the right amount of money, you're doing a better job, you're, you show up on time more often, you try your best, and you feel that you're succeeding at home as well. So I think what OndiCare will do in 10 years, it will help equalize that. Let's discover the Cleveland entrepreneurial ecosystem. We are telling the stories of its entrepreneurs and those supporting them. Welcome to the Lay of the Land podcast, where we're exploring what people are building in Cleveland and coming to you live from Cleveland as well. I'm your resident cartographer here, Jeffrey Stern, and today we're exploring the world of in-home care. Nicole Pelosi is the founder and CEO of OndeCare, which is a startup based here in Cleveland that connects pre-vetted care professionals with families needing on-demand in-home care. As a mother, Nicole recognized that families who are juggling demanding jobs and care of loved ones often may not have sufficient care options for their children, for their parents, or for special needs relatives in their lives, and built OndeCare as a platform to offer flexibility and organization to those with caregiving needs. I really enjoyed this conversation with Nicole, and I hope that you all enjoy it as well. So we had first connected back at the beginning of last year, uh, just before the beginning of this illustrious period that we find ourselves in now. And I was really excited to learn about the work you were doing at OndiCare. For one, because you know it was complementary to the work that that I'm doing at Actual with healthcare credentialing, but also because I kind of immediately recognized the need for what you were building uh, growing up with a father who has multiple sclerosis and how difficult it is to find aides, nurses, practitioners who you can trust to come to your home and you know literally entrust the the life of your loved ones to. And so with that, I'm, I'm very excited to have you on today to talk about OndiCare and, and learn about all the progress that, that you've made since. Thank you. It, that's one thing about this project turned company of mine. Um, it's really connecting me with people that have experienced what we've experienced and that they're thankful that we're trying to do this. So I appreciate that you saying that and sharing, your, <laughs> sharing that. Yeah, yeah, of course. And so obviously we'll talk a lot about uh, the company and, and what you're doing there, but I uh, mm-hmm. would love if we could start just, you know, painting a picture of how it is that you got to the point of actually wanting to to start this company. And yeah, I would love if you could just take us through your background and, and your motivations. Sure, sure. Well, my personal background, I grew up overseas as my father worked for the State Department. We moved every two to three years of my life from one country to the next. I went to Purdue University, spent my 20s in Chicago, one of the greatest cities to be in your 20s and launch a career. The foundation for my career was with American Express, corporate card and corporate travel services. I started out in B2B sales, led their knowledge management team while we built Wikipedia-like databases. I'm talking about the 80s, before (laughs) there was Wikipedia. And then uh, was in their first Six Sigma Black Belt cohort. American Express was the first company in the world to apply Six Sigma methodologies to service as opposed to product. From there... I have built and led customer-centric service organizations, divisions, and companies, both small and large. And it was during that tenure that I found the need for on-demand in-home care. Yeah. So in that kind of professional journey and and trajectory, how how is it that you came to the decision? What what was kind of the catalyst to to kind of depart that world and, and start your entrepreneurial journey? <laughs> so I, w- I wish I could say I was a serial entrepreneur. It really would have helped me with investors, <laughs> let me tell you. 
But I'm an entrepreneur only because I couldn't let go of the problem without trying to solve it myself. I will say I ran into this problem almost 20 years ago. I repeatedly ran into the need for safe, reliable, on-demand in-home care. First, as a single mom, when I lived in Chicago, with a toddler and a demanding job, I used to dream of a taxi dispatch-like service before Uber, (laughs) that would drop off a tenured nurse or retired teacher to take care of my daughter, Jordan, while I was implementing a CRM system at four o'clock in the morning on a Sunday, or she was simply homesick with a fever. And then later in life, as the caretaker of my father-in-law who had Parkinson's and my five-year-old, not to mention a teenage daughter at the time, (laughs) I realized that on-demand in-home care was not just a need for single moms with demanding jobs. It's a need for everybody. And that's when I said, okay, I did the research and found out that millions and millions of days are missed annually due to primary care breakdowns. And fortuitously, I had the time to start OndiCare. Now we have a 10-year-old son who has ADD and Tourette's and a startup. And the fact that my husband is also a small business owner, we often need this care. Ondi Care is short for on-demand care. We are reinventing in-home care around today's busy families and generating well-paying, flexible jobs for care, safety, and education professionals. Yeah, that's fantastic. And when, when did this journey start? In 2016, I wrote my first patent. And then in 17, I built two MVPs and, and launched the second one mid-17. And so that's, that's basically when it started. Got it, got it. And, mm-hmm. and at what point did your, did your path bring you here to Cleveland? So I was in Cleveland already. So we moved to, to Northeast Ohio in 2005. I am a transplant to Cleveland. My husband's from Ohio. He calls this the Ohio Nation, along with many Ohioans, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) My career took me to Chicago. My husband brought me here uh, to raise our family. Being a nomad as a child instilled the need to raise my children in as few places as possible, quite frankly. (laughs) My husband had a Cleveland-based business strategy consultancy, Bush Consulting Group. And in 2005, we moved to Northeast Ohio to be closer to my husband's parents for the last years of their lives. We were lucky enough to be able to pick where we wanted to live, and uh, we chose Chagrin Falls just outside of Cleveland. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I, I've been curious about is, is in the early days of, of Care, given the, the human, the very human nature of the work that you're doing, the, the concept to me of like the MVP is, is, is more challenging, I think, because it's, it's very much like you have to have you know, a lot of the, the right components in place for, for this to work in practice. And so I'd love if you could just speak a bit about in the early days, how, how you went about the actual development of this platform and, and kind of iterating uh, to a point where you felt it could actually be put out in, into the, the world and, and market. Well, <laughs> so that's why I ended up with two MVPs. I knew I needed a technology that would be able to connect caregivers with clients the vetting protocols that we had to do from the get-go were all done traditionally, like any company or agency would do to interview and, and vet care providers, or, or any employee for that matter. But the, the technology MVP was a, was a marketplace. The first one was based in ShareTribe, which is a European-based marketplace technology steeped really for products. It's, it's built was really for products and in sharing economy. But Platform OS built a 
Near Me, which is a platform that had a scheduling tool in it. So I, I built it on, on ShareTribe first, and I realized I could not rig the components of <laughs> ShareTribe enough to create a calendaring function. Uh, so I had to go back to the drawing board, and I found Near Me and convinced the CEO of, of Near Me to allow me to buy an instance for a nominal fee. I can't say how much, but typically big companies uh, like Cisco and Hallmark are clients of Near Me. And you know, you buy an instance for $30,000 and then their engineers build the dream marketplace that you want. Uh, well, I didn't have that money, but it was Christmas time and he liked my idea, kind of like you did. <laughs> and, and he's like, okay, you can buy an instance if you deal with it. I said, do you want to compete with ShareTribe? He's like, I'll test that out, you know, maybe. And I was like, I'll do it myself. And, uh, you know, I can help you with your documentation, et cetera. And he basically took pity on me. He said, go right ahead, have, have at it. And gave me an instance for a, a very fair price. Um, and, that, and, and that's what I worked with. But it was primarily the cal- calendaring function. And caregivers build their own profiles. The system had great controls so that they didn't get published until I had reviewed it and later our social worker had reviewed them. And it it does everything from the search, it's a search find technology to booking and payment through a traditional Stripe gateway, payment processing gateway. So building a a marketplace, I think is notoriously difficult uh, with the kind of chicken and egg problem that you quickly run into where you have to kind of straddle and build, you know, both the supply and demand side of the, the market. In those early days, how, how did you go about getting your first practitioners on board and, and finding people interested in, in working with those practitioners? So in the early days and what we still do today, our on-care providers are exactly those that I used to dream about 20 years ago. They're tenured nurses, they're teachers, there's nurses aides, they're EMTs, firefighters, med students, nursing students, education students. They're highly incentivized as they set their own rates and they work when they want to work. So once we found avenues to get to these individuals, and what's great about it is we're we're looking for specific kinds of people. So keywords and and things like that on, on Handshake or Indeed or even within organizations like healthcare institutions, it, it's easy to find them. So so you, you post job opportunities, let them know that it's within their control, tell them what's, it, what's in it for them. And they come in droves, quite frankly. The problem was figuring out how to vet them thoroughly and reduce that cycle time to do the vetting. And that's built into Care 2.0, the second iteration of our product that's actually launching next month, finally. Oh, very exciting. Yes, <laughs> very exciting. And I didn't build it. By the way, I'm, I'm not an engineer. <laughs> um, so this is being built by true technology engineers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can, can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, the current, current state of, of the product and, and how, it's, how it's come along? Sure, sure. So it is, like you said, it's just a two-sided marketplace. And Ondicare is a corporate SaaS decision-making tool as well. Our customers, our corporate clients, offering on-demand in-home care to their employees as a benefit or a perk. So our marketplace platform employs intelligent matching based on availability, rates, credentials, and 15 other proprietary attributes that we've learned are necessary or key to our clients over the last couple of years. And it's combined with a real-time bidding system to ensure ease and speed 
for coordinating schedules and agreeing on rates. So those those uncomfortable conversations you have, oh, I only I can only spend twenty dollars an hour and your rate says $25 an hour, it's all happen, it all happens in the system. And um, it, it eliminates that uncomfortable conversation, quite frankly. So if you think eBay, it automatically allows people to come to agreements when it comes to schedules and rates. It automates the service agreements for any of schedule. And we are realizing higher than typical booking rates because it's, it's able to do, do that matching. So we have emulated this matching kind of protocol on the back end, <laughs> pretty much manually to prove out that this is what we needed to build. Um, so we're really excited about it launching. Additionally, our protocols manage care activities and integrate customer support to assure consistent quality. So like a home care agency, you need to know that the caregiver showed up on time, that the caregiver executed right, the, right. The, the care report. So all of that is, is automated through, through the system and right through to payment. And finally, employee adoption and usage data is in, informs customizable employee benefit decisions. Corporate beta clients get our SaaS platform for free right now, um, and their employees get ready access to quality backup family care, and companies can subsidize care based on real utilization of Andi Care, achieving true ROI. We're really the only customizable backup family care perk out there right now. Yeah, I want to kind of double click on the idea of Onicare as a perk. I imagine there were like a lot of channels you could potentially have taken the marketplace, whether just directly to consumers and practitioners. Where did the idea to, you know, kind of have a, a corporate or company sponsor of the, the whole platform come into play? Well, my background with American Express was B2B, middle market sales. So I kind of understood how that machine worked. And also my husband's business strategy consulting firm did a business strategy consulting project for us in the early days. And we explored avenues for a rapid deployment and uh, the B2B to C strategy is the one that'll get us there fastest. And also entrench us in the companies and the, the, the metro areas. So that's what helped us develop this plan. Yeah. And you've taken kind of a, a geographic specific approach as you're building this out? Well, we're starting here in Cleveland and Akron metro areas. So our three beta clients that are on our list right now, Cleveland Clinic, Markham Accountants, and Gertzberg Law Firm, are all starting out here. Markham's got offices in 20 different cities. They're headquartered in New York, actually. <laughs> but they bought a big um, accounting firm here, thankfully, in the Cleveland-Akron area. So we're allowed to pilot test here before going to New York. But yeah, so we will follow our beta clients to the larger metro areas and build our client base around those beta clients. and add new clients in those metro areas and go from there. Yeah, that's very exciting. I guess in tandem with the, the pilot um, or beta partners that, that you have, how many practitioners and, and people are, are on the, the platform right now? And, and what's the kind of reception that, that you've been hearing from, from people? So we have added more than 1,000 users to OndiCare's MVP. <laughs> um, we're migrating probably two thirds of that to 2.0 right now. And, and most of those are, are practitioners, a little more than half of them are practitioners. Got it. 
I know you've also been in the process of, of trying to, to raise a round. And obviously with that comes a lot of thinking about the future and, and the vision and the impact. And so you don't, you don't have to give me the whole investor spiel, but I am curious, you know, like 10 years from now, what, what is the kind of impact that you hope to be able to have with Care, And, you know, what, what's the scale at, at which you wish to have it? So 10 years from now, I, I, I will be nationwide and we'll be doing two things. We'll, we'll be enabling those more effectively balance work and care of loved ones, as well as raising up the caregivers themselves. Caregivers come to Care because they control their own rates. They know what the clients pay. And Care only takes at a maximum 20% of each transaction so the caregivers can earn a well, a worthwhile rate wage on Omnicare. So I, I see us elevating the status of care providers across the country so that they are earning the right uh, wage to provide care. When you're earning the right amount of money, you're doing a better job, you're, you show up on time more often, you try your best, and you feel that you're succeeding at home as well. So I think what Care will do in 10 years, it will help equalize that. As our population ages, we can get more people into the caregiving community because it'll be a better avenue for, for many care providers. Yeah. Now, I actually came across an interesting uh, statistic today, totally unrelated, but um, <laughs> it played pretty well in the, in the conversation we're going to have here. But it, it was going over is from the uh, U.S. Labor um, department and, and bureau statistics, and they were going over the potential increases in employment in different jobs over the next ten years. And you know, top of the list, you had RN, software developers, fast food workers. But the top of the list, by like a very significant margin, um, I think it was like close to one point two million, was home health aides. Yep. Which to me, I is not is an extraordinary like thing. How the, the magnitude by which that. It's increasing and the, the need is, is increasing so significantly. And right now, I mean, a home health aid in this market makes at best twelve to thirteen dollars an hour. But on on care, they make one and a half times to two times that because they can they can control it. The, the home care agencies are making one and more than one and a half to two times that themselves. They're making between two and three X. So like I said, we're reinventing in home care so that we do get the resources to fill those jobs that our country will need, <laughs> right? Yeah. Why, why do you think it's been so difficult to crack this code of getting people the right aids and like and building this marketplace? I think timing is everything, quite frankly. If I had started this, you know, just a couple years beforehand, I probably would have ran out of money before COVID hit and 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 launched the demand or you know accelerated it by five to ten years. So I, I think there's a lot to do with timing. I think, you know, in-home pet care and and Uber even, they're precursors to things like this. So that now it's almost natural that we're we're going to have more and more people go to solutions like Andy Care to provide uh, to get pre-vetted in-home care providers rather than before. Right? Before you didn't even know what a home care agency was unless like you and I 
we grew up with a family member that needed that extra care. And then when you navigate the home care agency, the the complicated processes sure. that they have to go through and it's, and the, it's ridiculous it, it's ridiculous it's all paperborn and just labor intensive and so it's just it's just ripe it's ripe for 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 being reinvented or disrupted like many people like to say yes um, in, in this startup world in this startup world disruption um so it's just ripe i think it's timing uh and we were lucky enough to be here at, at this time and yeah. to have learned from what the clients and the caregivers need over the last few years. We didn't grow too fast. If we were in California, we might've grown too fast and built the wrong product. Um, but being in Cleveland, <laughs> I, I needed to really work hard um, and, and get through the grind and really learn uh, before I uh, had the money and the time to build the product. And a lot has been added to the product just based on the last six months of, of COVID impact. So yeah, speaking of of COVID, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, there's there's been a, a quote that's been kind of ringing around in my head. I'm not even sure who said it, but it was it captures I think a lot of what's happened from a technology perspective over the last year, which was you know the the last you know two years of digital transformation have occurred in the last you know months, and the idea that COVID took a bunch of these existing trends and just sped them up. I mean, it's just evident. We, we've seen it uh, in everything from e-commerce to, to working at home. And, and so, yeah, I am curious how in-home aids have been impacted by, by the last year. I mean, obviously, people to, to varying degrees are taking uh, precautions like this very seriously, having someone into your home. I'm curious the kind of headwinds or or, or tailwinds yeah, or tailwind. that, that, you, that you've seen from that. Or honestly, it, it stopped us in the tracks in March. So in March, COVID, as you would, it gave me one of those really tough go no go decision opportunities. Yeah, we never considered pivoting, but we quickly learned who of our clients, you know, sought us out as a nice to have, you know, the date night backup care, or even the respite care for their special needs child. And, and who couldn't live without us? Fortunately, because our entire hero force consists of professionals, it was really easy to implement safety protocols and continue to serve the clients without a hitch. So that was one thing that went into my go, no go decision. Yeah. But still business was less than dismal for four whole months. We all contracted, myself included. I used care providers consistently up until the end of March. And my husband and I swapped and traded care of our, our nine-year-old at the time as we remained safe and quarantined. My daughter is, has an autoimmune disease, so we, we just really um, were overcautious, some people would say. So our business was very slow until August, but I had money in my pocket. I had Glide money, uh, the Glide B, uh, the non-dilutive funds, and we got our first angel investor. So I decided to build 2.0 during that downtime instead of close the doors. <laughs> so we launched the project in April and we go live, but we're only a couple months behind schedule because of COVID. Even, even technology resources, it got impacted. But as you might expect, because of what you're hearing in the news and what you just said about the, the need for home health aides, uh, those with experience and credentials to care for others, whether they're elder care or special needs care, direct support professionals are focused on those with special needs. But our clientele came out of the woodwork with very, very little marketing spend. We achieved 142% year over year growth 
despite four months of like almost stagnant, no, no revenue. And it induced the creation of caregiver task force in most companies. Executives and HR leaders are all working on sustainable practices for getting back to work and charting their new normals at work, be that at work might be in their home and in the office, but it's certainly going to be dependent on irregular schedules. And caregiving is now in that discussion. Like I said, it's that timing thing. Caregiving has bubbled up to the top of these corporate leaders' minds, and that, that's why Care has been flourishing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I would imagine as, as things start to, to get back to, to normal that, that there's, there's definitely some, some tailwinds <laughs> for you. Yes, yes. But I, I, I mean, I know there's many companies out there that in those first four months, you know, they, they couldn't sustain and we were kind of hanging on by our fingernails. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, on, on that point, I would love to hear about your experience, you know, going through the, the fundraising cycle here in Cleveland and, you know, build, building the, the war chest to weather that storm and more recently in your, in your current round and yeah, some, some follow-ups after that, but we can get there. <laughs> sure, sure. I, I'd love to shout this from the proverbial Cleveland rooftops, but we have a lead investor of our first round of funding, thank goodness. Oh, um, that's amazing. It's been a, a, a road for me, but being a new entrepreneur, I just had to figure it out. And um, it took me longer than some, some I'm sure. But um, SSIP LLC is a really neat angel group led by a Cleveland Clinic doctor. But it has members from all over the country. And uh, we're also in due diligence with Pittsburgh-based Blue Tree Allied Angels and a venture group that focuses on elder care solutions. So yes, our round is actually being pulled together. It's a $1.5 million note round. And if I kills me, I'm going to close it before my birthday, March 29th. (laughs) (laughs) So that that's probably been the hardest thing for me to learn how to do learning what clients need, learning what the caregivers needed to make this work for them was easy. It's kind of like what I've been doing for the past few decades in, in my career, but figuring out navigating the funding landscape here and ultimately outside of, uh, of Cleveland to, to make this work was probably the steepest climb for me. Yeah. What, what has been so challenging about it? I started out talking to the wrong people, people, big, big venture capital firms that, you know, with my, my few dollars of growth <laughs> meant nothing. And they were all, everybody's really nice. That's one thing. They're brilliant people. They know business. They know finance. And, and they know macro trends, but they're all very nice. So I had to learn to figure out that they're just being nice <laughs> and providing me advice. They're not going to invest in Care for another three, four, five, maybe 10 years, the people I started talking to. So finding the right people stage-wise was something I had to figure out after spinning my wheels with, with a lot of great mentor-type investors. But what's good is, you know, once this round closes and we have the two years of runway that it, it should fund, my second round will not be hard at all because all of these people have been on this journey with me. <laughs> but yeah, it was just figuring out who is the right uh, group, these the angel groups that are interested in this stage and this type of product. Mar- marketplaces are not easy. Lynn Ann Grease was the first person to tell me. She was the very first nice 
investor, she's from the Cleveland area, that said, you know, what you're doing is really hard and you're not going to get very many people to invest in you. <laughs> and I was like, well, of course it's hard. <laughs> what isn't worth it, you know, if it's not going to be hard. So, right, right. so I had to find the investor that felt that, yeah, this might be hard, but if done right and executed, it, it's, it's, it's going to happen. Yeah, no, it's super important to, to find the, the right alignment of yeah. people that, that believe in what you're doing and want to help you make it happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't actually know exactly the the involvement um, that you've had with the, the Generator G beta yeah. um, stuff, but I'd love if you could just expand a bit on what that is and um, and how you've been involved. Yeah, so G beta is, I think they call them uh, micro accelerators. Uh, there's no money involved. But it's seven weeks, intensive weeks, quite frankly, of helping founders really figure out the right messages for investors. So it was ideal for me, quite frankly. I knew and I love my business and, and, I, and I have a great passion for it. But I tend to spend a lot of time talking about all the ins and outs of it rather than exactly what the investor is, is looking for. So they helped you, they, they help you with your executive summary, they introduce you to tons of mentors and uh, potential investors. We, Aja is is the Cleveland uh, director, and in one week, she had us meet, my cohort meet, more than 20 potential investors that were interested in early stage. Now, some of them, you know, we're still, we're too early for, but they're like, keep me posted. I, I want to talk to you when you hit, get your next round, when you, when you need your next round. So, but 20 in one week we spoke to. Now, luckily we, we got to do this all via Zoom. <laughs> so we weren't driving around from one investor to the next. We probably wouldn't gotten 20 in, in one week, but, but she's a go-getter and lined up all these investors for that final week. One of those investors was SSIP. And they happened to co-invest with Blue Tree, who was somebody I was already talking to that I had generated from my own kind of relationships. So uh, it just was a great experience for Care to be a part of G-Beta. Yeah. And Generator has their own, they have several products. Uh, they do have an a investment uh, accelerator as well, the, the traditional generator. But uh, G-Betas, I think, are popping up all over the country. And they really do help entrepreneurs really do focus on what they need to focus on. They quickly found out that I knew how to build my product. I, I knew what my customers wanted and what my caregivers needed. And, and what we really needed was, was the introductions and the assistance with communicating with the investors. And that was, that was how they helped. That sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. So we've already spoken to, I think, some of the, the learnings that, that you've had as a, as a first-time entrepreneur but I am curious, as you have navigated these company building waters, what are some of the things that you have learned and picked up along the way that, you know, maybe you wish you had known when, when you were starting this um, or, or that kind of have surprised you as you've, you've worked to, to build to where you are now? Well, one thing that I probably should have already known is to ask for the favors. You know, when I talk to all those big wig VCs, I, for the first six months of my fundraising, I never asked them to introduce me to smaller angel groups that might be interested in an endeavor uh, like Care at the stage that we were in at the time and are in now. I, it, it took me a while to say, so what would it take for us to, 
you know, be of interest to you? Or, hey, <laughs> who do you follow? And, you know, what angel groups would you recommend us to or could you recommend us to? So asking for that was something I learned that I should have known. And I, I tell every entrepreneur <laughs> that I talk to, uh, to, to definitely ask that question. Okay, if, if we're not in the right space for you now, who do you recommend? Because they all know each other. They follow each other. They co-invest. So that, that would be the fir- first thing. The other thing is, I think I have probably 10,000 versions of my pitch deck. <laughs> and I'm not exaggerating. Uh, oh, thank, I, I believe you. Thank goodness for Dropbox, the unlimited space. But it's not to change on based on everybody's feedback, every nuance of everybody's feedback. I have, I mean, you know, my changes would go one way and back the other way. It's not like they would progress consistently into something perfect. It was back and forth and back and forth based on people's opinions. And I, I needed to figure out who was aligning to our vision and, uh, and our growth plan and our growth strategy and, and listen to those individuals and, and even push back. You're not going to lose an investor, I finally realized, if you're going to push back and question their, their feedback or, the, or, or, or their thoughts. Because if you are, then, then that's probably not the right investor anyway. Um, right. <laughs> you know, oh, she questioned my, my expertise. No, that, that, that's not it. So, so I, I think my 10,000 versions should have been more like two to 3,000 <laughs> versions. <laughs> um, so those are the things that I wish I'd learned early on or new up front. Yeah, uh, good, good learnings. <laughs> well, to close out, been trying to paint a collective collage, not related to startups at all or entrepreneurial things of not necessarily people's favorite things in Cleveland, but people's favorite hidden gems in Cleveland. And so I'd love to know what, what yours are. I don't know how hidden it is. is. It, was, it was definitely hidden to me until we, we uh, stumbled upon it. But I would say actually Chagrin Falls. The town is picturesque, well-maintained yeah. old buildings. My husband and I love old towns and our old architecture. There's really a falls in the middle of town. <laughs> <laughs> it has quality food establishments, uh, top-notch schools. We walk to work, which has been a godsend during COVID. We could walk to the Metro Parks if I was really an exercise enthusiast. <laughs> My son runs around in the neighborhood with his 10-year-old friends and the village like it's the 1950s without a care in the world, even during COVID. Okay, the only evidence of worry <laughs> is the fact that they are all wearing masks. <laughs> but it's just that carefreeness and you can watch these kids grow up. I mean, it's a, it's a gem. It might not be hidden, um, but I, it's definitely a gem. Yeah, and it's absolutely beautiful out there. It's, yeah. it's like it's like New England. It's like you know <laughs> the surrounding areas of this this area. People people think, well, you're from Cleveland. Well, Cleveland's got a lot going for it, I think. And th- that's the other thing about it. Like we are within 20 minutes from Cleveland. You know, uh, professional sports teams, the thriving new edgy neighborhoods you know it's got a little bit of chicago that i missed you know yeah yeah well if um if people have anything that they would like to follow up with you about joining the on platform using on investing uh whatever it may be what is uh the best place for them to find you nicole 
The best place for them to find me is, well, they can always find me on LinkedIn, search for OndiCare or Nicole Pelosi, or my email address is Nicole at OndiCare.com. And there's no H in Nicole, N-I-C-O-L-E. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I, I really do appreciate you coming on today. Like I said, I was, I was very excited to talk to you. Um, I remain as excited to hear about the progress that you've made and, uh, yeah, definitely always love to see Cleveland companies, you know, building and, and growing and yeah, definitely appreciate you coming on today and telling your story. Super. Thanks so much. Thanks for this opportunity. Quite frankly, my husband's like, wow, I've never been invited to a podcast. That's really cool. <laughs> I'm like, I know, but I got to go prepare. <laughs> That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. So shoot us an email at layoftheland at upside.fm or find us on Twitter at podlayoftheland, at the Tegan, or at sternhefe, J-E-F-E. We'll be back here next week at the same time to map more of the land. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for our show, please email us or find us on Twitter and let us know. And if you love our show, please leave a review on iTunes. That goes a long way in helping us spread the word and continue to help bring high-quality guests to the show. Tegan Horton and Jeffrey Stern developed the Lay of the Land podcast in collaboration with The Up Company, LLC. At the time of this recording, we do not own equity or other financial interests in the companies which appear on this show unless otherwise indicated. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Founders Get Funds and its affiliates or Actual and its affiliates or any entity which employs us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. We have not considered your specific financial situation nor provided any investment advice on this show. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you.